Hey everybody, welcome to episode 158 of the Running Rogue Podcast. This is Chris coming to you from Austin, Texas, and I am following up on episode 156 where I talked about the Mary Kane story, this time as promised to discuss this topic with a female coach. And I have to thank listener Mimi Albert for connecting me to my interview guest today. I've got Dina Evans coming on the show, and Dina is someone who's coached for the last 20 years at the highest levels in track and field. She started as a coach, assistant coach under Vin LaNana at Stanford University, where she spent six years, first as Vin's assistant for cross country and track and field, and then became the head coach of the women's cross country team, where she led the Stanford Cardinal to the 2003 NCAA cross country title. While she was there, she coached Sarah Hall, as well as Lauren Fleshman, as well as others to a whole host of individual and team accolades while at Stanford. From there, she moved on and has, in the last 14 years, served various roles with Team USA, helping lead Team USA at high-level meets around the world, including the World Cross-Country Championships, the IAAF World Relay Championships, as well as the IAAF World Track and Field Championships, both indoor and outdoor, including being at Doha this year to help with the team from a coaching standpoint. So she's coached at the highest level of Team USA and has spent the last 12 years as club director and coach for the Peninsula Distance Club, formerly the Strava Track Club there in the Bay Area, where she's coaching post-collegiate and elite development type athletes to pursue their goals beyond college and so she's coached at all levels and has coached obviously a lot of men and women through the years in the last 20 years of coaching and I think brings a really powerful perspective to this conversation so I'm excited to have her on to help educate me as well as others about how we talk about address treat manage this topic of running body weight and nutrition. I think if you're a if you're an athlete, I think this will be a helpful discussion because it'll help potentially frame how you might think about it as an individual athlete. I think if you're a coach, it will certainly help frame how you think about this topic from a coaching standpoint and how you have these conversations. I do want to say though and just place the caveat for Dina and I that Neither of us have all the answers and we are trying to figure this out and hoping through dialogue and conversation to continue to get better on this topic so that we can all elevate our words, our thoughts, our approaches in terms of how we address these topics with our athletes. And again, we don't have all the answers, but we're hoping that talking about it gets us to a better place. So with that as an intro, I'm going to jump right into my conversation with Dina. Welcome Dina Evans to the show. How are you doing today, Dina? Doing great, Chris. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on. I wanted to start by getting your background first. What's your background as an athlete and then how did you become a coach from there? Okay, well, yeah, my background as an athlete is not necessarily just in running. I grew up um, near Seattle and did a bunch of sports growing up and I think up until the point, probably until somewhere, I don't even know, maybe even into my 30s, I probably considered myself an athlete who happened to participate in running. Um, I think um, at one point I probably uh, liked basketball the best, but in college I did soccer and track. Um, high school I did all three. Uh, so I grew up doing a bunch of different things, and um, one thing that we may not have talked about uh is that uh, when I was in middle school, I was a part of a an alternative PE program where we did a lot of um, crazy tasks. So I did a lot of long running. Um, I'll tell you a long story about that PE program. It was great. But I did, you know, like my first half marathon when I was 11 and things like that. So I did a lot of long running um, while doing other sports and um, did a bunch of sports in high school, two sports in college. And then running was kind of last up. I finished my uh, last college season and had gone – really well. Um, I was I started a, a graduate program to become a teacher. And during that, um, during that year, I spent a lot of time working in the track office at Stanford. And um, 
deciding for sure that I never wanted to be a coach. I was doing all these like grunt jobs, you know, <laughs> for all the home meets and different things like that. And it was, it was rough. And I was like, oh, this is terrible. I'll never do this. Um, but uh, long story short, I ended up doing it um, much sooner than I ever thought. And you played soccer as well as ran track. Mm-hmm. What events did you run on the track? So I probably would have considered myself a half miler up until maybe my sophomore year in college. And then Ben Lanana, who was my coach at Stanford, um, really kept telling me that my best event was going to be the mile. And, and he was right. So it took me a while to kind of <laughs> agree. But I enjoyed the 4 by 4 a lot, too. We um, High school, we won a state championship in the 4 by 4 And at Stanford in those days, in the early 90s, we didn't really have a lot of personnel at that time. There was you know, a big transition when Brooks Johnson left and Ben came in. It took him a while to kind of build up numbers again. And um, so I ran a ton of four by fours in my first couple of years, um, which wasn't that great for the team, but it was um, really helpful for me. And I, I really enjoyed, you know, being a part of that, that type of thing. Um, but uh, I ended up being best in the 1500. And Vin Lanana eventually twisted your arm to come help him as an assistant. How did that happen? Well, um, I had, uh, like I said, I was working in the track office a bit while I was doing my, my grad school, and then I took a teaching position uh, in a middle school, um, actually in the city, Rebel City, where I live now. And um, and my husband, or boyfriend at the time, was playing a little bit of football, um, and at the time it was in Indianapolis. So um, at the end of that next school year, I... Uh, took a job with USA track and field actually in the, in the national office for a short time working uh, for Craig Nasback and um, my husband's uh, football career ended fairly quickly and he got a job back at Stanford and um, I also got a job back at Stanford and we came back pretty quickly. That job was in, uh, my job was in, uh, in athletic, in the athletic advising uh, area. And um, one day I was in the mailroom and Ben came up to me. I think Beth Alfred Sullivan had just taken her spot at Penn State as head coach, and he had um, he just uh, I was not expecting it. Asked me if I'd be interested in, in thinking about this position. Um, and uh, next thing I knew, I was calling recruits. <laughs> the rest <laughs> is history. Yeah. So you you got to work with Sarah Hall. And Lauren Fleshman as at least two names during your time as assistant to Ben at Stanford. What was it like working with athletes like that? Well, I think, um, you know, obviously I was very young and I didn't have a ton of coaching experience, um, if any, at the time other than just camps. Um, so I think one of the things I did bring to the table is a fairly good institutional knowledge of the school. Um, so I felt really comfortable interacting with the student athletes there, and um, and that includes students who are interested in Stanford. You know, who might have that school as a part of the the list of schools that they're interested in, or the type of school that they're interested in. So um, I felt that to be fairly fairly seamless. I wasn't that old myself, <laughs> and um, you know, I had uh, I'd grown up, you know. Kind of not necessarily physically around Stanford, but I have a lot of family history there. And um, so I felt very comfortable in that environment and comfortable with the, the type of student athletes that were attracted to that environment. Um, so that, that went great. I mean, Stanford's, um, I think, uh, you know, each school has its strengths and liabilities, and each population of students have things that go really well for them and things that are more difficult for them. And Stanford's got its own set of those. So it's not like it was every day was rainbows and sunshines and unicorns. Um, we definitely each day as any coach does, um, had our set of challenges and, you know, as the coaches there now or, um, any school have, but, uh, you know, I, I was familiar with those challenges cause I had just gone through it myself. Before we jump into the more serious part of this discussion, what's it like seeing Sarah Hall doing what she's doing now, still PRing at the marathon? all these years later after leaving Stanford. And then of course, Lauren having the career that she had and now using her voice in such a powerful way in this sport. What's that like seeing that? Well, I think, um, 
sometimes for me, it's an interesting uh, thing because I just see them as just being themselves, like doing the thing that they would just naturally do. And sometimes I almost forget that other people outside, like, you know, <laughs> there's a whole bunch of people who are like coming into contact with their, their voices or their opinions and um, strongly held views and uh, commitment to various things and um, personalities and, and just being like, whoa, who is this? You know, um, because I think, uh, you know, both of them, and I, I wouldn't single them out as like necessarily the only people They're they're certainly in their own ways um, gathering a lot of attention right now, but, um, but there are many folks within the program who, who, um, you know, have taken opportunities to be outspoken about very, various different um, subjects and things like that. But uh, yeah, I mean, Lauren, um, I, I think I myself, um, I've described this some folks like, you know, when Finn was coaching me and I was an undergraduate, you know, we had sometimes a contentious relationship, like just, you know, I um, tend to be a little bit of a rabble rouser and he tends to be a little bit of a rabble rouser. Um, so Lauren, who tends to be a little bit of a rabble rouser, you know, like that, just, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, um, that's just her being her. So I, I really think in, in her case, you know, I, um, sometimes I wince because she does take some stands publicly that I'm like, wow, that's going to blow back at her a little bit. And so I kind of sometimes, you know, in kind of a, probably an older sister kind of way, you know, worry a little bit for her sometimes when she, you know, invites a lot of blowback with some stuff she steps out on, but she's, um, she, I think a lot of people have benefited from her having the courage of her convictions. And I don't think that'll change. And um, I think she's an important voice. And certainly, I don't think a lot of people realize all the work that she's put in over the past several years as a part of the USATF um, board of directors, like the actual board board, you know, um, that is not just about showing up at AAC meetings every once in a while, or this or that. It's a lot of boring, you know, and tedious meetings and procedures and stuff behind the scenes. And she's really taken up that mantle. And I think really tried to um, affect change. And, you know, USF, USATF, as we know, um, is a large unwieldy organization that's very diverse and has a lot of differing viewpoints and a lot of um, disagreement on a lot of issues within its ranks. And so uh, that is not an easy task. And I think she, I think don't, people don't really realize all the work she's put in on that front among all the other ways in which she's kind of out front, um, you know, on Twitter or other ways. Sarah, I think um, in her own way, you know, um, she's obviously uh, in the last few years with, um, you know, growing into the, to the role of motherhood and parenthood along with Ryan, you know, that's um, been awesome to see. She's um, someone that's been close to our family and our kids. They were really young. And um, so it's wonderful to see her in that role and figuring out how to to balance those things and it's just you know amazing to see how well um she has done that it doesn't surprise me at all that she's doing the longer distances and thriving at that you know um i remember days when i was coaching her when she was in college you know and she'd call back from these summer you know ryan and i were at jim ryan's camp and we got lost in some two and a half hour <laughs> run like into the woods and you know around her hometown in santa rosa you know she just really thrived um kind of in that nature going for a long run and just kind of just running long. She just enjoys running and being out there. And I think to do the longer events, you really need to kind of um, actually uh, just a few weeks ago, um, uh, had an informal conversation with Jerry Schumacher who said this exact same thing. Like if you're going to do the marathon, you really need to kind of love running. And she's a person I would describe as a person who, who loves running. Um, so, uh, I think she also enjoys going fast and she enjoyed those years where she was doing shorter distances and she's unafraid of a challenge. Um, certainly she's done pretty much every event in the book, but, um, but she loves running. And so, uh, we always are excited to, I think as a running community, you know, you probably say this yourself as a coach of adults, I myself as a coach of adults, post-collegiate athletes in particular, we love to see somebody, um, get to the age where they're able to realize um, some great performances in their prime and not have given it up before then. And so that's really inspiring to see. And um, I don't think she's near done yet. So and the last I heard, Ryan was getting in a little bit of shape too. So watch. <laughs> he says he's going to help. But that is cool to hear that they're basically living how you saw them then. There's no surprises, I guess. 
Well, there, that's the that untrue. There's always surprises. <laughs> <laughs> Fair <laughs> that enough. Itself is the, the part that's not a surprise. <laughs> nice. So let's talk about the Mary Kane story. Obviously, as someone who's involved in the sport, you've been, I'm sure, following that. What were your reactions when you first watched Mary's video? Well, I think that, um, you know, rolling back, uh, I can't remember the first thing I saw that that flashed up that this was this had gone live. I can't remember who, you know, if it was like a tweet I saw or something, somebody texted it to me or um, I can't remember. But the, in that space between kind of being aware that this was out there and then going and engaging with the material itself, uh, you know, I think maybe I'm not alone in this feeling of having kind of like a variety of flashbacks thinking about her just watching her through the years in a variety of different contexts and kind of, um, you know, the times when you were super happy for how things were going for her and, and then times where, um, you know, you were concerned that this, you know, that this wasn't going as well for her as it seemed to be initially. Um, so I was kind of almost bracing myself, I think. To, to watch the video or to engage with the material and as especially after the first New York Times and then subsequent kind of uh, you know uh, piece of info came forth including the podcast she did with Karen Shanna just um, just here you know in a couple uh, you know a few days ago uh, I think it's it's just really um, difficult to hear um, what she's gone through partly because um, you can see the common threads with, uh, you know, athletes, other athletes that, you know, each of us may come into contact. I can think back to athletes I've come into contact with who um, have had difficulties with these issues, you know, and flashing back to all the difficult conversations I may have had with athletes around these issues, and, you know, start to second guess everything I've ever told anybody about anything, you know, <laughs> like, uh, where did I do it wrong? Man, I really should have, you know, known more about this or, um, you know, how can we do this better? Uh, so it was a lot of, like a lot of self-examination, honestly, kind of, you know, feeling like, wow, should, should somebody have done something to have helped her? Should I have done something more to help people that I've interacted with? Where have I gone wrong? How can I grow from it? Nobody should have to go through, um, feeling that way. Um, so it's a whole big ball of Christmas lights, I think, uh, for me when I listen to that. But um, I think that one of the main things that I hope comes from it is that, uh, you know, she really laid it all out there. And um, not everybody has to see um, everything the same way to agree that as a result of that, there are more conversations to be had about the topic. And while not all of those conversations are like 100% super positive and productive, it is a type of subject that I think has for quite for a very, very long time been under wraps and been kind of the wild west, you know, it's kind of like, I don't watch Westworld very much, but it's kind of like this like separate reality and inside that reality is kind of like this wild west out there, you know, um, but it's not something that publicly is very much discussed. Um, so I'm hopeful that in the long run, uh, good comes of it because conversations will be had that will hopefully lead towards, you know, productive relationships between coaches and athletes, coaches and parents, coaches um, and each other, teammates and each other um, that might not have occurred otherwise because there wasn't some sort of common thread to, to use as a catalyst for those conversations. And now we have one. Yeah. This conversation being one of those, frankly, as it was spurred by that, by Mary coming forward, as an athlete, what was your experience in this area? Did you have anything that you could relate to from her story in any way? Um, I, I think that my perspective on all of this is that all of us is kind of an inclusive way of thinking about this. Every single female, whether an athlete or not an athlete, falls somewhere along a spectrum of, um, of how they're feeling about their body in their own self-perception and um, even folks who are oftentimes feeling pretty positive can have moments 
where maybe a comment is said or um, even just as simple as trying on an outfit in a dressing room and saying, oh, well, I think I should wear something that's a little bit more flattering, you know, and then flattering gets equated with slimming, which, you know, the ideal state becomes equated with being thinner. And that could happen outside of athletics. So it's not hard to understand how that might translate as an aesthetic into athletics where you're out there and, you know, basically briefs and a bra top um, competing in front of people. Uh, I think that um, as a person who grew up in, um, you know, the 80s and went to college in the 90s, there was a lot less kind of supervision and regulation around how these conversations happened. And so you had a lot of variability in terms of uh, females' experience. I was a person who was, uh, you know, a person with a bigger frame than most of my competitors. That was true in high school. It's true in college. Um, and I also had this element where I had soccer for half the year, which demanded a different type of athleticism to a certain extent than, than running middle distance. So it was something that I definitely had to, to pay attention to. And I manage, I think, sometimes better than others, in part because I didn't really have a ton of education about how to do so. You know, um, I would have conversations about this with Vin, and I, I didn't find any of those conversations troubling. But those conversations, I think, and he would probably agree, weren't, you know, scaffolded with the type of information and knowledge that either of us would have as coaches today when talking about these things. You know, so we would have a lot of frank conversations um, and I had, to, I had to manage it. But um, it was, it, you know, there wasn't, I wouldn't, I would say there was a very high possibility for folks, you know, my age and doing the things that I was doing to fall through the cracks because there just wasn't a lot of education about female triad and red S. That wasn't really something we talked about, you know, Um there was, you know, I think a pretty common just prescription of, of oral contraception as a way to solve problems um, with a lot more kind of drastic levels of estrogen than maybe might be prescribed today when that had that old set of side effects. Um, and uh, so it's just kind of the Wild West. And sometimes it worked out. I think that I, you know, escaped out of that, like, intact, relatively. Um, but others weren't so lucky. And so... Uh, you know, I think all of us have benefited from the greater attention to this. And, um, you know, again, like this conversation is important to happen because it turns us on to other resources and other voices, other knowledge that we as coaches can gain to have a better, um, more informed conversations with athletes and to figure out ways even just to use our language in a better way to, um, to you know, help performance versus uh, causing harm, certainly. You told me a story last time you ta we talked about how a coach one time commented on your frame and how that gave you an advantage. Oh, yeah. Tell that story. Yeah, so um, I just, I reflect back, I've reflected back on that in the last few days um, because this coach, in other contexts, I think other people would have felt that he would have said the exact opposite thing. <laughs> so maybe it was just because he was trying to recruit me. But um uh, he was like, the big girl always beats the little girl in the last 100 meters. And um, as a person who was, you know, I mean, in high school, I was, and I still am about about the same size, but I'm, you know, about 5'9", five, 5'10", five, about 150 pounds. And I was, you know, running the mile against, you know, <laughs> girls who weren't that size. Let's just say that, um, you know, and that was meant to be an encouragement to me, which I held on to. It was like, yeah, you know, I'm, you know, going to mow people down in the last 150 um, but, uh, and it didn't occur to me that that's probably a vastly different message than a lot of girls got. Um, and certainly I, like I said, I think in this coach's case, other people would have been very surprised to have heard that he would have, um, made that comment, but, um, yeah, and I don't even know, I mean, that's, if that's uniformly true, but it encouraged me at the time because that was something that I, it's not that I was, I couldn't hide from my friend, you know, it's kind of proud of it to tell you the truth I'm a little bit stubborn that way so um I didn't necessarily shy away from it but it just it was what it was in some context though that could have been a dangerous com comment for some um, right yeah and I think that's the thing that's like scary as a coach is that um 
you know, I guess it's just humans. <laughs> like you just, you really don't want to cause, you really don't want to cause any harm. You want to encourage people towards positive, positive behavior and positive outcome. Um, and all of us at times say things that are received incorrectly by those who are hearing them. Um, and, uh, you know, a generation ago, there was just probably a lot less sensitivity to how that might be received. And also, I think probably more of, um, you know, that I think the scales were tipped more towards, hey, you got to be able to deal with that. You know, if the coach tells you you need to do to lose weight or do whatever you need to do, like, um, well, you got to be tough enough to deal with that. Like, that's on you, you know. Whereas I think now we're a little bit more like, hold up, like, who's the adult? Like, should that adult, you know, be able to communicate in a way that's positive? That's not really on this teenager to um, glean from this kind of course series of comments what the positives were out of that, you know? Um, and I also think that, uh, you know, there's, there's so much difference in the way that we do distance running these days compared to those days. Certainly. I mean, it's not like the nineties we were, I mean, we obviously had some, you know, a few people running very fast, but the nineties weren't that amazing time, you know, for us and distance running, <laughs> you know, and certainly before then there wasn't a ton of a huge pool of females who had come through. So while we have people that we recognize now as trailblazers and people that I would have looked up to at that time, um, you know, it's not like they were brought in to talk to us or that, that you know, there was no sort of uh, the way that I don't even know this is really the case now, but there was no internet where you could kind of read their comments in an interview or, you know, interact with them at this meet because they came to sign autographs or it just, you know, um, there wasn't that much knowledge about how we do things. And there were a lot of kind of old school, like, you know, glorification of old school methods, I think. Whereas now if you consider, you know, the things that people do, even like who had heard of a foam roller, you know, right. <laughs> like it was, I remember, you know, in college, it was like, here's this thing called a stretching book. You know, it's like, ooh, a stretching book. You know, but think about the different, you know, now we're doing ice baths. Now we're not doing ice baths. You know, now we're doing strides after everything. Now we're doing, um, you know, workouts after races. And we got the alter G and we're, um, you know, just different. We just do dis distance running like in a much more comprehensive way. You know, let's talk about like our fluid consumption on long runs and like make sure the balance of your electrolytes is right. Like, not, you know, none of that. Right. So, um I can't even remember what your question is, Chris. Sorry, but it's, it's changed a lot since then. So um, I think our conversations have changed a lot as well. Would you agree as a coach that it that you should avoid any commentary characterizing someone's size, even if it's intended to be positive? Um, I think that it's always kind of a little bit of a slippery slope to always say, avoid, avoid, avoid. This is just a perspective that I have generally. I think it is much more productive in our lives generally, and in this case, particularly to think about what we should emphasize. And so um, I think we should, you know, emphasize conversations around performance and capabilities and outcomes. And um, so when you're doing that, you're not, really focused on an appearance or a number other than say like uh, a result or a, you know, a split or whatever. Um, does that make sense? Mm -hmm. That's the way I kind of think about it. I think it would be very difficult to, to, to go throughout the day thinking, I can't say this. I can't say this. I can't say this. I can't say this. I'd rather think I'm going to focus on these things as much as I can, you know, and make sure that that message gets across um, as best I can. Um, so my emphasis is clear. So what did that look like for you? And maybe take me back to the Sanford days and then how that has evolved for you to now when you're coaching a, a club of adult athletes. Yeah, well, certainly coaching, you know, fresh high schoolers to college and then coaching people who are 20s, 30s, 40s and older is, you know, a different ball of wax. They're going through different things in their lives at different points in their understanding of themselves as runners, just experience wise, you know, and their bodies are at different points, certainly. 
um, as I well know, as a 40-something runner myself. <laughs> um, but, and I also think definitely like 20 years ago, I, you know, was not nearly as confident in having these conversations and I was fresh off the boat myself. So, um, you know, these were difficult things. I think um, one thing that, uh, you know, a little morsel that I took from Vin, and I know I share this with Lauren and kind of the way that we um, characterize these things is to really talk about these things um, in the context of a lot of different factors. So um, I think one danger of talking about body or weight or um, related issues is kind of glorifying it, putting it kind of on a throne where it's like so special that like, and now we're going to have a conversation about your eating habits. Like that's only going to end with everybody stressing out about it. Right. If you kind of like drum roll and then have this conversation, you know? Um, and at the same time, you also want to recognize that one, if somebody's off the path that they should be on in those areas, it's probably deeper than just what they're deciding to put in their mouth or not put in their mouth. And two, there's a bajillion other potential factors that might be coming into play with what's going on with that person. And if the goal is ultimately to, to get that person in a position where they can get the most out of themselves, whether they are a superstar or whether they are a contributor, whatever their goal is, you want to just have them in a place where they can perform at their best. There could be a lot of different factors involved. So if it, um, you know, obviously you want to, build a relationship where you've opened the door to communication about these things before there's a problem. So that takes a bit of work. Um, but if you do find yourself at a time where you do need to, you know, unpack what's going on and try to figure out how we can get the ship back on course, um, that conversation's got to include, you know, an examination of everything that's going on. Um, one of which might be, you know, struggles in this area. So for me, context in the larger picture is really important. Um, both because I think that we unfairly give it this thrown position that just makes everybody stressed out. And um, two, because usually there's, there's something going on be behind the surface and just dealing with the eating issues doesn't really, it's like a bandaid that doesn't fix the wound. So what would you say to that person that says you can't avoid the concept of racing weight lighter equals faster and maybe they'll even give you the caveats of to a point or, you know, as long as your habits are overall healthy. But it seems like there's this tension in the debate now between it doesn't matter at all, at least it shouldn't be a focus at all. And of course it has to be a focus because at some level weight and performance are tied. So how do you think about that? Okay. So a couple thoughts. One if I told you, Chris, um, okay, listen, your kick stinks. <laughs> it does, by the way. It does, by the way. You got to pick it up. No, but you got to you got to really go for it over the last two hundred or whatever. Okay, some conversation like that. You're like, okay, yeah, yeah. I got I got to go for it. I got my kicks got to get better. I got to run faster. Okay. So what exactly are you telling yourself to do in order to get your body to travel over the ground faster? Like there are certain things you have to tell yourself, like, are you increasing your cadence? Are you putting your arms in a different position? Are you taking pains to change your posture or relax your shoulder? You know, there's certain things you are actually doing that will result in you potentially running faster over the last 200, right? So I think that in a conversation about like, well, Chris, I think you need to be X, Y, Z race weight, which is probably not a conversation that I would have. But if we were to say to have that conversation, what is it that you were actually going to do? That may be true. Just like it may be true that you need to run faster over the last 200. But the more important conversation as a coach is like, how can we get you doing the things you need to do? to be performing at your optimum, you know, capabilities, which may mean at that time you end up are, you end up being at that approximate weight, but that's just not really, that's like cart before the horse. It's like the things you are actually doing are the habits that are really important that it will eventually lead you to be in that position. 
Well, I think we agree on that point. I, I made a comment or at least discuss in my yeah. podcast two episodes ago that my approach as a coach is that healthy inputs equals healthy outputs in that. And what, when things go wrong is when you, as you said, put the cart before the horse and you pick some arbitrary output as the end all and be all, which then causes you to twist or, or do weird things to the inputs in order to just get there. And I think sometimes weight becomes that thing that everybody's striving for because they think it's the end all and be all to get a certain performance when really, really it's just whatever your quote unquote race weight is, is really just that rate, that weight you happen to be when you're healthy and performing your best. And you've got sustainable habits, you know, that are something that you, I mean, if it's something you can only do for like a week or two, and it's like so drastic that probably, you know, <laughs> deserves some reconsideration, um, you know, because that's probably, uh, you know, I think sustainable habits are, are something that we, we want to encourage. But similarly, if you told me, Chris, okay, I want to, um, what's a random goal? I want I want to get some arbitrary number in this race. Then, um, well, we know kind of what, the paces to get to that race. But as a coach, the way I think about it is I look at the types of workouts that might, you know, influence your ability to be able to perform that way. And I try to kind of give you, you know, put you in a position. So all the data points in these variety of different types of sessions would give you a reasonable chance to think that you could go out there and do what you were hoping to do. You know, can't run the race for you. And the end product is all yours. But as a coach, I would hope to like this, put you, in a position where you don't have to jump that far from here. You know what I'm saying? Um, and uh, similarly in this, is- in this type of, you know, type of issue, I would, some of that may not necessarily be um, a remit if it, you know, if it does require like a real deep examination of, of nutritional habits, but in terms of just influencing an athlete, my hope would always be to just to have you on a road and put you in a position so your data points indicated that you were in the ballpark for the for the performance that you were hoping for, you know, um, and then that performance comes from having a profile that matches up with the performance versus a performance and we don't know how you got there. Nobody ever, I used to say, in the, my college coaching days, I was like, nobody ever, you know, climbs to the top of the podium at the NCAA and is like, I have no idea how I got here. This is just a just a great coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> what a magical moment. Like I have no, I, what did I do? I don't even, I can't even remember anything I did over the course of the season. No, like, you know, people who end up in that spot know darn well exactly what they've done. They've worked very hard and yeah, you don't always get the, um, you know, let's get the gold medal at the end of everything you do. But um, when you do, you, you most of the time know what you put in to get there. And that's the important work. So my coach, my approach as a coach on nutrition, even weight, is generally to avoid it altogether. I don't really see it as my job. Again, I'm coaching adult athletes that are paying me to do that, and my job is to help give them their goals and half marathons and marathons. And 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 so I focus on the running elements, perhaps some strength elements, mobility elements, recovery elements all the things that sort of fall in my purview as a coach, sometimes the mental elements. And in general, if somebody comes to me and says, Hey, what about eating habits or weight? Then my general answer is either don't worry about that. Focus on the running, let that work, you know, manage itself, help manage itself. Or, you know, here are some resources you can go to. We have partners that I will refer people to if that's something they really want to focus on. So for you, how does that part of the conversation go? I think um, much the same, you know, uh, particularly, you know, it depends a little bit on the person, how long I've known them and what the relationship is. Um, but I definitely, you know, have had people say, I'd like to train for a marathon. Will you help? Will you coach me? I'd like to lose weight. And I'd say to themselves, well, I am a running coach. I will help you run the marathon. Whether or not you lose weight is a separate topic right. that it's not this, you know, that's a separate thing. So I definitely have, I, you know, I'm, I'm with you on having kind of that, that focus. I try to um, keep the first thing, the first thing. Um, and, and like you, 
there's uh, folks that refer people to in the community or, um, you know, if, if that's not a good fit for whatever reason, try to, you know, encourage them to, to find a fit that, a fit that works. Cause some people do, you know, sometimes they get to their adult life and it's the first time they've had an opportunity to really kind of work on these things and build some healthy habits. So you want to encourage that for sure. Um, but I, I usually am pretty, you know, I'm a running coach and I'm, that's what I'm here to help you do. Um, which is a little bit different than college athletes um, because you um, are kind of just given this, you just, you spend time with these athletes in the recruiting process. Their parents kind of um, look at you as the kind of the, the conduit between them and school. And so you kind of handle all sorts of things that go on with a student that aren't really <laughs> like completely related to like, you know, how many 400s you ran on Tuesday. So um, that's a little bit of a, difficult thing, but thankfully it seems like more and more that universities have uh, people in place to make those handoffs a little bit um, more seamless and easy and, and more, um, I think sometimes it's awkward to have uh, rules and regulations about that within a particular department. Sometimes I think it's, it feels limiting for coaches who are used to being able to have a little bit more flexibility in how they handle different situations. I think ultimately the intention there is, is good to protect the student athlete and make sure that they're, um, that someone's looking after them and like paying attention to what's going on with them and also to pay attention to the, the coach and allow them to, you know, to focus on the X's and O's, which is, uh, which is the best thing. What about situations where you, where you might see a situation where you think somebody might actually have unhealthy habits, whether that be an eating disorder itself or disordered eating and you have those suspicions, what do you do? How do you approach that conversation with somebody if it's a concern? Um, well, it depends on who that person is. You know, I've, um, I've, uh, you know, depends on the context. I mean, I'm in my, through my mind, I'm thinking of all sorts of things. There's a lot of things, things that aren't really any of your business, you know? And, um, and that's sometimes difficult because uh, it's hard to know if you're necessarily providing more help than harm. If you're, you know, you're wading into a situation that didn't um, that didn't require <laughs> your your participation. Right. Um, so I would like to avoid that, but um, you know, I think that. Uh, I think just it's important to encourage people to have I talk about like having the meeting with yourself, you know, um, and that's, I talk about this in the context of like uh, just coaching in general, you know, sometimes if you're always have, if you're coaching yourself or you're doing your own workouts and you're just having the meeting with yourself, sometimes it doesn't go well, you know, uh, my shin is sore. Should I do this workout anyway? Let's have a meeting. Okay. I think I want to do the workout. Well, that might be a bad outcome for having that meeting with yourself. If you had a different, if you had an additional person in that meeting, you might come up with a, a result that would help you. And I think in, in some of these issues, just encouraging folks to, you know, you may not necessarily know what the, the right person is or where they are, but encouraging people to speak to someone with whom they can kind of have those meetings with like, wow, I'm not, I don't feel, um, like I'm where I, I should be um, and having somebody who they trust who can say, who can, you know, provide some feedback. So it's not just the same old, you know, reverb feedback in their own head, which is kind of where we all sometimes go down. We get off the path when that's the case. Um, but sometimes it's really difficult because not everybody has somebody like that in their lives. So um, that can be a tricky process, but that's kind of generally, uh, what I encourage people to do is to try to open up to an ally. Um, and that may or may not need to be myself. Um, sometimes it definitely needs to not be me just because it's, uh, it'd be better for, you know, just for a variety of reasons. But it's hard when, they're, when, they're adult, when people are adults, it's really difficult because they, um, you know, they're not showing up to you six days a week. You know, they're not on scholarship, <laughs> you know, um, and uh, adults sometimes have found themselves over the course of years in, in habitual places that are really difficult to unwind themselves out of. So it's challenging. 
So taking that a little bit broader, and uh, you say, I'll ask you to answer this question for yourself because you can't necessarily speak for others, and I know we're all figuring it out. But as coaches, sometimes it's hard because we're we're on the verge of playing a lot of different experts, even though we may not be, you know, at some level we might be asked to be play a doctor role when someone has an injury or to play a, a nutritionist role when somebody's asking about you know, what they should eat and or maybe a therapist role when they're talking about some of their mental challenges that might be holdups in racing. In addition to, of course, playing that coach role and understanding the X and o, X's and O's of workouts. So for you, how do you figure out that balance between stepping into those situations and giving what you know and saying, hey, that's not my world. Go to this person. Um, that is really difficult um, because a lot of people, a lot of coaches are in coaching because they want to help people. Um, and so I think that's kind of the default stance. I don't know if you agree with that, Chris. And so I'd like to say that I have had it all figured out. But, you know, um, like many of us have been doing anything for a lot of years, you know, there's things, you know, there's times when you've done things well and times you've done things poorly. And you should, all you can do is kind of learn from those times and hopefully be a better version of yourself for the next person who comes along. Um, but, you know, after all, we are all human. And I think, like I said, I think the, the challenge for me is sometimes I, um, I want to, I want to, I want to fix everything and um, sometimes it's just not possible, you know, or not realistic and not the right choice. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. as we think about this topic specifically in the context of women and younger women, how do you think it's nuanced there or is it at all, especially when we're talking about having periods versus not having periods and, what's healthy related to menstruation. There's a lot of information out there that I think male coaches may struggle with because they can't relate and because maybe it's a taboo topic. So talk about that side of it. Um, I've said for a long time, you know, people have asked like, what's the one thing you would tell a high school athlete? Um, I would say to make sure you're having frank conversations with your parents and or coaches about your menstrual cycle. Um, so I think too often that conversation gets delayed and put off as like, Oh, she's just developing late or, Oh, she's just doing all this running. And you know, then you kind of get to college and it's a big disaster. So um, I think those conversations early uh, can help get everybody on the same team, understanding what's going on and, um, you know, be paying attention to the, the athlete as a whole person and making sure that um, that nutritionally and in every other way they're on the right track um, with the, the hope being, you know, for longevity and for enjoying of the sport and for the opportunity to feel at your best um, and get better. Uh, so I think those are important conversations. I think that menstruation is just is something that your body does. It, it Again, like I was saying about putting these topics on a throne artificially, um, you know, uh, we could have a conversation about getting a flu shot. We could have a conversation about, um, you know, using shockwave therapy on shin splints. I mean, we could have a conversation about all sorts of things about what the best way to treat Achilles, you know, tendonitis. Um, menstruation is something that, that is normal and it's just a bodily function it's super important and um, it's, you know, sometimes a canary in the coal mine for other things that are also really important. So we need to talk about it and we need to take it out of this um, scary zone and make it not a big deal. Granted, the average adolescent female may not feel totally comfortable talking about that with the average adult male, potentially, in which case all involved should make sure that, again, that there's somebody involved who is in a position to, to to have those conversations and make sure that communication is happening. Um, problems that are small problems but aren't talked about oftentimes end up as big problems. Even big problems, if they're being worked through by a team or, you know, partnership, can be solved. And uh, yeah. So what do you think on that note, starting with 
high school or collegiate programs, what needs to change systematically in order to make sure that the right conversations are happening and the right resources are available for an athlete in these situations? Well, I'm not sure I know. I'm in a position to know what needs to change because I'm not sure I necessarily know, you know, there's, this country is a big place and certainly there are people in other countries who are doing a good job and some who are not doing a good job and those voices are important as well. Um, we run our stuff in, in the United States this particular way, whereas other countries, they often take a longer term approach to development. Um, as Lauren Fleshman alluded to in her op-ed last weekend, you know, your, your running career should be long and fruitful and your high school and college time should be only one period of that. Um, so whereas in the United States, we spend a lot of time kind of putting a lot of pressure on kids in that particular time frame, uh, somewhat artificially at the time when their bodies are going through a lot of changes. So I think one thing for me is probably to um, have more um, understanding of the idea of the running career as being like a longer term thing. That's really difficult for college coaches who are getting hired and fired by how their team does in a particular year. And so they're under a lot of pressure to have results. Um, and I think that's just kind of an out, you know, that's just a, a byproduct of the way we treat sports in general and the way that we've kind of lionized collegiate athletics to a certain extent in our culture. So there is this pressure even in sports like ours that aren't necessarily, um, quote unquote, the revenue sports. So I think there's a bigger picture thing that probably needs to change about how we kind of view athletics. Um, but everybody being on the same page that the goal is for like a long-term successful career where the athlete can succeed at the time when they're most ready for it, which is those years after college would be great. Um, and I think that, uh, there's a lot of different things that schools both at the high school level and at the college level do now that they didn't probably do a generation or two ago, um, and keeping in mind that like two generations ago, there weren't a lot of women doing this. I mean, like the numbers of females participating in these sports just were so much fewer. So uh, I think both high school and collegiate athletics are more used to dealing with, with male athletes over the course of generations than female athletes. I think the learning curves had to be really steep and quick. Um, but, uh, but I think there's lots of things that schools, that high schools and colleges do now, people that they have in place, they didn't used to have. And folks who are prepared to kind of deal with health issues, um, mental and physical related to um, female athletes is something that's, that's really crucial. And just like an athletic trainer um, is there to take your ankles, you know, this is an important piece of it too. And there should be somebody available to be there as a resource for these athletes if you're going to ask of them to do these really difficult things make these demands um, certainly the money's there in most cases so. and what about coaching education you know coaching is a little bit notoriously lean and running in terms of actually having formal and let's say thorough formal certification processes i mean you can go spend a weekend and get a usatf certification or get an rrca roadrunners club of america certification but that's mostly focused on the X's and O's of coaching and training methods versus some of these other topics like we're discussing now. So what needs to change there to help equip coaches with better information on this stuff? Um, again, I can't say if I, if I had the answer to that, boy, I'd be <laughs> pushing for it. Um, you know, I think that we, we've come a long way in terms of uh, starting to, have more uniformity and, and seeking kind of professionalism within the sport in terms of certifications or having prior uh, qualifications or um, even just safe sport, although it's not free of its own problems, but you know, there's some steps being taken towards these directions. And I think that younger coaches coming in are going to be more used to these hoops to jump through than folks our age or older who um, are like, what do you mean? I got to go do this. You know, I've never had to do this before. Um, 
some things can be more acceptance for those types of things. Um, but I also uh, um, think that I don't think we've yet clearly defined what shared set of values we need to impress upon um, young coaches coming up. Um, I have people that I speak with and we probably have a shared set of values, but I, I'm not, it's not clear to me that, that I'm on the same page as somebody else in other, another corner of the sport. Our sport is very diverse, very large. So that's a difficult issue. I think that, um, and I'm not necessarily sure that, that even USATF would be the appropriate um, vehicle for that because, um, just for a variety of reasons, it's a, it's a, administrative governing body. Um, but whatever happens, I think that it's important that the athletes are really driving the process because um, the perception of athletes coming through is what is really crucial here. The experience of athletes is what's really crucial coming through here. You can have a bunch of experts tell you, you know, it's kind of like corporate environments. They go into these like big, you know, um, seminars on various different subjects that they need to be aware of. Um, and sometimes those, it's really good information. Um, but if those aren't grounded in like real experiences or real issues, real problems from the perspective of people who've had difficulty with those issues in the past, then it's going to be hollow and fall on deaf ears and not really be effective. So thankfully we have, um, groups like the AAC, we have groups like, um, the group that Christian Taylor's putting together. I mean, that's obviously working more towards um, economic opportunities. But um, there are obviously a lot of powerful voices out there, both on this issue, set of issues, as well as, you know, um, folks like Alicia Montano, who've been, you know, working on um, issues related to maternity. Um, we have a lot of powerful athlete voices out there. And I don't think any solution is going to be complete without really taking into account um, the experiences and needs of athletes. But I think it's we're still in early days as to figuring out what that should look like. It's a good point, though, in that the athletes should be involved, should have a voice there. But also they do have some power. And with these topics now at the forefront, I think there is an opportunity for athletes and for parents of athletes, especially for those younger athletes, to go in now equipped with more information about what they want to know about a coach in a certain environment or what they should expect from a coach in a certain environment or what they may want to see from a coach in a certain environment and then hopefully make better decisions about programs to join or in some cases if it's an adult athlete choosing a coach about which coach to choose and what they might want to look for in a coach and how they would approach these topics which would give that power to the athlete to hopefully make make choices as to what's going to be best for them. For sure and I think that Educated athletes is um, really important. Both, again, like back to my original point, like uh, Mary Kane's, you know, uh, telling of her story is now going to make that conversation come up with a lot of parents and kids in the recruiting process, which is going to, one, um, allow parents and kids to evaluate the environments their kids are going to be going into. And then two, it's going to encourage coaches to make sure that they're that they're on you know on point with what they're they're prepared for these questions. They are doing the best job they can to be able to help these athletes in these ways. And, and I think that's it's going to be an uncomfortable thing. Like I said, I look back at all the conversations I've ever had, and I'm like, oh gosh, I should have done better there and should have done differently here. Um, I think all coaches kind of go through that, but that's an uncomfortable process that hopefully pushes you towards being a better person at what you do. So I think that's good. I mean. I relate it back to um, when I was at Stanford. I would just I would read I would read the Let's Run message boards because I knew that parents would sometimes read those and then have like kind of wackadoo questions, hmm. <laughs> you know, based on something they read there. And so, like, I mean, this happened more than once where I would read and there'd be some thread about just you know, something that just wasn't true or just you know something out of left field. And then, sure enough, like a couple weeks later, a parent would be like. So tell me about this. Like, do you have everybody running 95 miles a week, you know, and, or something like that? And, you know, it was nice to be prepared. I mean, it wasn't fun reading, you know, some of the stuff on there, but uh, the drill was to be able to thoughtfully answer concerns that a parent might have, you know, um, 
so sometimes you kind of take the hits in order to be able to make sure that you're doing your job well and um, and this might be the catalyst for some yeah and if you're a coach as you said you've probably made a mistake and but this is a good time to self-reflect and hopefully all together elevate our conversations on this topic so thank you dina i appreciate you joining me and being willing to open up and talk about your perspectives i know as i said in my intro none of us have all the answers we're figuring it out but the conversation hopefully helps us all get to a better place and i appreciate you taking the time to help us do that thanks chris i appreciate uh including me in the conversation dina evans everyone Thanks to her for joining me and for sharing her perspective. Definitely, definitely helpful for me and hopefully helpful for you as well. Thanks, of course, to you as always for listening. If you want more about Rogue Running, you can always check us out at roguerunning.com or follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at Rogue Running. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon.